a riddle. A riddle is a question which requires a lot of thinking skills. To answer a riddle, one must think outside of the box to get the answer, which is often unexpected. Well, let me give you a few examples. So we'll start with this. What is orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. (laughs) All right, here's another one. Kate's mother has three children. Snap, crackle, and... Let me read it again. Kate's mother has three children. The answer is Kate. So this is a good example of how riddles, by using our existing expectation... Do you want me to leave that up for a while? Some of you are like, what? (laughs) These things can trip us up. Even though the answer is right in front of us. We're tempted to continue the predictable pattern and end up missing it completely. Well, here's one more. This will take some brain power. What was mysteriously unknown in the past but has been majestically known in the present? Well, here's another clue. Where is one plus one equals one true? Well, the answer is the church, where God established a new pattern by forming Jew and Gentile into one body. We learned about that last week, Ephesians chapter 2, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And so last week, first part of this chapter, because of our union with Christ, our differences are put to death so we can live in communion with one another. Now, in our passage today, we're not going to have to solve a riddle But we are going to seek to understand a word that appears some four times in this passage. Let me point it out in Ephesians chapter 3. It's the word mystery. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Verse 4, the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Verse 9, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So in English, a mystery, some of us think of novels or shows or movies that are mysteries. It's often something obscure, inexplicable, much like a challenging riddle to be solved. However, the word mystery in the Bible is different because it refers to a previously hidden truth that is now made known by the revelation of God. I appreciate Warren Wearsby's definition. A mystery is a truth that was hidden by God in times past and is now revealed to those who are in his family. I'm going to invite you to stand, and today I'm going to read our text, but I'd like you to stand uh, to help us focus on it. You'll see it up on the screen If you're following along in your passages, your copy of Scripture, it's Ephesians chapter 3. You listen and worship as we read this incredible group of 
of verses. I'll begin in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So I want to pause there and as I read verse 10, I want you to mark this in your mind. I'm going to read it slowly and you listen carefully. We'll come to this verse in a few minutes. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? Say it with me, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And all this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. You can be seated. Here's what we're going to see today. <laughs> our mission is to make known the mystery and the majesty of the gospel. Well, let's dig in. First, we'll see the call of Paul to the ministry. Verse 1, the apostle Paul links the reader to the truth that Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, notice, on behalf of you Gentiles. So Paul was in prison precisely because he was preaching that Gentiles did not have to become Jewish in order to be saved. Oh, would you note his high view of God's sovereignty? So while technically he was a Roman prisoner, notice what Paul says, that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see, he knew that God was in control. It wasn't Nero who had put him there. It was God who put him right where he wanted him. I'm encouraged by what happened to Paul when he was preparing to pray because, well, it happens to me all the time. So Paul's reminded of his situation. That's verse one. And then he gets sidetracked. He's starting to pray and he ends up chasing a spiritual squirrel. <laughs> Well, you do it too, don't you? You start praying and all of a sudden you're thinking about something else. And 
He doesn't pick up his prayer again until verse 14. Let me show you. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's like a dash. So verses 2 through 13 is is a thought that Paul had. And then he comes back in verse 14 to the prayer for this reason and has a way to help us when we pray to not get distracted. This next Sunday night, we're calling the whole church to a time of prayer. And we're going to meet from 6 to 7.15. We're going to start right here, and then we're going to be going to different sections out in the lobby to pray for specific requests to help us stay focused. So Paul starts his digression, verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Would you know Paul sees himself as a manager, a steward of all that God has given to him. We're the same. I mean, nothing we have belongs to us. Everything's a gift. We're called to manage our time. We're called to manage our resources. We're called to manage our spiritual gifts. In verse three, he writes, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So this previously hidden message came to him by revelation from God. That word revelation means to unveil, to uncover, to take the lid off, to pull the curtain back. This is spelled out in Galatians 1.12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted them to know that what he's writing about, he's not making up, and he didn't learn it from another person. He had this revelation from God. That makes me smile when Paul the preacher says he wrote about it briefly (laughs) because no one ever believes a preacher when he says he's going to be brief, right? I think of the sermon Paul preached in Acts chapter 20. He's preaching. There's a guy named Eutychus who's sitting in the window. He's up on the third floor. The Bible says that Paul prolonged his speech until midnight. Eutychus fell asleep. Imagine that falls out the window, lands on the ground three stories down, and the Bible says he died. And somehow, Eutychus is brought back to life, and when he is, Paul went back to preaching until the sun came up. (laughs) You can learn about that, Acts chapter 20. So verse 4 shows us Paul intended his letter to be read by believers. Do you see it when you read this? You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Don't miss this. If you want to understand the ways of God, you must be immersed in the Word of God. And maybe you say, man, I'm reading and I don't understand it. The more you read, the more you'll understand. And as we meditate on the majesty of God, the mysteries of God will become clearer. So our mission is to make known the mystery of God and the majesty of the gospel. Notice number two, the plan of the mystery. Verse five, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse six tells us what the mystery is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So first, we're fellow heirs, born-again Jews, 
born-again Gentiles are joined together and experience all the covenant benefits of God's grace. We see that in Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you, he's writing to Gentiles, are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Secondly, we're members of the same body. There's no distinction between the Jew who comes to Christ and the Gentile who comes to Christ. Both are brand new creations. Both are enfolded into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. An example of being in one body happened this week when I received a note in the mail. The note was from my good friend, Pastor Tanner, from Word of Life Church in Rock Island. This is what he writes. Thank you for all Edgewood does to show the love of Jesus to the hurting. And in the card was a check for $1,000 for the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. So here's Tanner. He's pastored in Rock Island for over 10 years. And he knows about the ministry of Celebrate Recovery because he refers people to it. And so he was moved to send that money. And I immediately texted Tanner to thank him. And then I wrote a note expressing our thankfulness for their partnership in the gospel. Uh, Dear Tanner and Word of Life, thank you so much for your grace-filled generosity to the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. Under Pastor Tanner's servant leadership, your commitment to further the kingdom in the Quad City area is evident in multiple ways. It's a joy to partner with you in gospel proclamation as we offer the forgiveness and freedom found only in Christ. And then I reference Philippians chapter 1, which emphasizes the partnership that we have with others who preach the gospel. So by the way, Word of Life is one of the five other Rock Island churches we're partnering with for our Easter outreach on March 23rd. Thirdly, we are partakers of the promise. And so Gentiles are now recipients of redemption. Romans chapter 11, Paul explains this is meant to make the Jews jealous so that they would put their trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Why? In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Friends, this can only happen because of the gospel. Our mission is to make known the ministry and the majesty, the mystery and the majesty of the gospel. Number three, the preaching of the ministry. Paul says in verse seven of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is by, given to me by the working of his power. Paul knew everything he had, everything he was called to do was a gift of God's grace. God gave him the energy God gave him the power he needed to accomplish the task. The word power is the Greek, and the Greek is where we get our word dynamite from. It's similar to Colossians 1.29. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. And as a way to combat any pride, Paul declared in verse 8, to me, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The very least, that phrase means far less. It means less than the least. It means inferior. Interestingly, in Latin, the name Paul means little. My mind goes to 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul knew he was part of something much bigger than himself. Would you note, even though Paul persecuted believers in the past, arrested them. His past doesn't keep him from preaching the gospel. That's a good word for us because some of us have so much guilt about what we've done. We live with shame and we just think, I'm out. God can't use me. Not true. Actually, Paul can't stop sharing the good news because he can't get over how God would choose to use him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word preach means to announce good news. That word unsearchable means fathomless, past finding out, impossible to trace step by step. Friends, when we don't understand everything, it should cause us to worship because we recognize that he is God and we are not. I'm often moved by reading the sermons of Charles Spurgeon. Check out this insight. I am bold to tell you that my master's riches of grace are so unsearchable that he delights to forgive and forget enormous sin. The bigger the sin, the more glory to his grace. John 5, 9 says there are things we will never understand, or Job 5, 9, we'll never understand, and that's a good thing. Now, let me pause here to say this. Some of us don't understand what God's doing. Maybe you're in the middle of something like, God, I don't get it. God, I just have to know, and once I know, then I'll trust you. And so, friends, I would say that sometimes we're not going to know, and sometimes in our crusade for answers, we get sidetracked in our faith. We're like, God, until you let me know why I'm going through this, we sit on the sidelines. I want to suggest the Bible teaches that there are things that we are never going to know. Job 5.9, who does great and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? Job 26, 14, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. We might understand some, and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Romans eleven thirty three calls us to wonder and worship. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The deacon and pastoral teams met with our search consultant from Vanderbloom in this past Tuesday night. This meeting that we had Tuesday night was actually rescheduled because we had to cancel a meeting 10 days earlier due to bad weather. And I can remember being very discouraged. I was on the phone with Brett. He was making a trip here from Houston, and he was in O'Hare. He was that close, and the Moline Airport shut down because of the fog. And I can remember being frustrated. I can remember being discouraged. But God. <laughs> See, in the meantime... Three more candidates applied for our open staff positions. 
making four for our administrative pastor position and three for our children's director role. And this allowed us then to receive all those resumes and hear summary reports on each candidate. Through all this, I was reminded of a statement I often say, do you ever say something and you're, you're like, you're not really living it yourself? <laughs> I, I like this statement and, and I wasn't, this not where I was that week. God is always at work and sometimes we get to see it. So no matter what you're going through right now, God is at work. The challenge is to trust him even when we don't see it. God's ways are often inscrutable. We don't understand it, but we know he's at work. Another pastor says it like this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even though God's ways are way beyond our ways, Paul's aim was to make his preaching plain and practical. We see this in verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring to light means to enlighten, to make plain. So Paul wanted this message to go everywhere to all people, and he wanted people to understand it. I like the pattern found in Nehemiah 8.8, 8, where we read of teachers, even small group leaders, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood their reading. And so our mission is to make known the mystery and the majesty of the gospel. Number four, the purpose of the, ministry, of the mystery. So I just want to just share, when I came to this verse in my reading of Ephesians some six weeks ago, as I've been reading through the book as often as I can, it stopped me in my tracks. I've thought about this verse a lot, and I'm still not sure I totally understand it. I shared it with a pastoral team this week, and we all marveled at its mystery and the majesty of the verse. So listen as I read it. So that through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Whoa, the phrase so that indicates the purpose behind the revealing of God's mystery. Notice God communicates through the church. And so God's intent was that through the ministry and the mission of the church, his manifold wisdom will be made known. Well, let's unpack that a bit. The word manifold means greatly diversified, variegated, intricate, multicolored, beautiful. In classical Greek, the adjective manifold referred to the beauty of an embroidered pattern or a variety of colors that we see in flowers. Genesis 37.3 in the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, uses this word to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. 
This same word is translated as varied in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That phrase, make known, is emphatic. It's like there's an exclamation mark by it. It means to display, to narrate, to declare, to reveal. It's similar to what a teacher does when unfolding and explaining complex truths. Notice the church is to reveal God's manifold wisdom. So here's where we need to slow down and contemplate this. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this refers to the angelic realm, which includes both good angels and bad angels or demons. So evidently, these spiritual beings follow in order or a ranking in the heavenlies. That word heavenlies is used five times in Ephesians. Well, let's just look at one that sheds some light on this. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the what? The rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is pulling back the curtain here. And he's helping us see something that most of us have not thought much about, me included. It's similar to how Elisha prayed when he was at Dothan in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. He's praying that his servants would see that there's a whole army of angels around. He says, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, a fire all around Elisha. And so today, as we're gathered here, there's a spiritual world that we can't see, but in one sense is more real than this world in which we live. 1 Peter 1.12 says the angels are so curious about our salvation that they peer over the portals of heaven to watch God at work. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels Long to look. It literally means the angels are on their tiptoes, leaning forward, watching redemption, watching lives changed by the gospel. Luke 15.10 tells us the angels rejoice at the repentance of a lost sinner. 1 Corinthians 4.9, Paul says we've become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men one commentator writes this this explains how god will reveal his wisdom and to whom he reveals it he will reveal it by his work in the church and he will reveal it to angelic beings so brothers and sisters we are surrounded not just now not just right now we're surrounded by invisible spiritual beings 
who look intently at us, trying to learn about how God's love led him to redeem those who repent and receive him. Kent Hughes writes this, all of this demands a view of the church so high that it challenges belief. Our text calls us to recognize and revere the immense centrality of the church. The bottom line is the church is not an option for believers, nor is supporting it an option. Paul's gospel was Christ and the church. And so the church is God's plan to make plain his plan of salvation to the whole cosmos. So when we carry out our mission as a church, by gathering with God's people, by growing in our faith, by giving what God has given to us, and by going with the gospel, even spiritual entities are being enlightened. This tells us we are redeemed for something greater than just our own personal salvation and sanctification. We are called to instruct the invisible world, watch this, about the wisdom of God and the redemption of all ethnicities, races, and people groups enfolded into one body, the church. This week I was gripped by a sermon Ray Pritchard preached on this one verse. He called it something big is happening here. Paul sees what happens here on earth as being closely connected to events in the spiritual realm. What happens to us on earth has a purpose that goes far beyond us personally. God intends to use us as a demonstration of wisdom to a whole galaxy of angelic beings who watch with great interest as we move through life on our way to heaven. Lots of things that happen aren't just about us. So when we face hard times and when life makes no sense whatsoever, we need to stop and say to ourselves, something big is happening here. You see, God never wastes anything. We are giving lessons to a heavenly audience. Okay, let me bring it to where we are. That means when the gathered church of Edgewood lives on mission for the glory of God, even demons are getting schooled. When we live all out for the Lord, it's a tangible reminder to fallen angels that their authority has been broken and that Jesus Christ is the victor. The progress of the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations will not be hindered. So this church thus becomes the university for angels and each believer a professor. And since angelic beings are interested and instructed by our lives, our conduct then is so important. Like if we're not living it, what kind of message are we giving off, not just to those around us, but even to the angelic world? I turn to Charles Spurgeon again. Oh, be not ye converts ignorant of the word of God. Be not oblivious of the operations of God in your own souls. The angels desire to look into these things. Do you look into them? Angels watch us because we're part of the mystery. Oswald Chambers says it like this, all heaven 
is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terrified of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. Well, let me suggest some implications. Number one, we shouldn't just focus on what we get out of a service as if we're the only one that matters. We shouldn't just focus on whether we like the music or the message. You see, what happens in church is of intense interest to angelic powers, both good and evil. Secondly, we must prioritize the church and plan our schedules around it. Friends, the church is not an afterthought. It's not some marginal organization that you might want to go to when you have nothing else to do. The church is central to God's purposes and plans. And if the church is important to him, shouldn't it be to us? One of the first contemporary Christian artists that I listened to as a new believer in the late 70s, early 80s was Keith Green. And he had a way with lyrics to really make a point. Here's what I remember. Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, we are not an audience just watching a show. God is the audience. And spirit beings are peering in to learn about the manifold wisdom of God by how you and I are living. And friends, that should cause us to be filled with reverence. It should be like, whoa. It should also cause us to rejoice. Number four, we need to keep asking God to revive us again that we might rejoice in him. Frank Peretti writes these words, there is no more dangerous place to be than where the word of God is preached with authority and when people are praying. All of hell is alarmed when dead religion wakes up. Demons scream and those in bondage are set free and Satan doesn't like it at all. Finally, Angels cannot be redeemed, but we can. Angels had one shot. About a third of the good angels fell following Lucifer's pride. They're now the demons. But friends, you and I have many opportunities to repent and put our faith and trust in Christ. So why not put God's wisdom on display today by repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I like how Wayne Barber captures it. When we start living obediently, doing the things that God has told us to do, the angels look at us and say, what has happened to him? Why, we were around here last year and he acted like a sinner. (laughs) Man, look at him now. He's living like a saint. What happened in his life? Look at him. Look at him. He just sinned against his wife, and look, he's going to ask her for forgiveness. What is going on here? What is this redemption? Barbara concludes, when Jesus is in your life, friend, it is not only touching a lost world, 
but it has also opened the eyes of the angels who haven't got a clue. They are looking intently. And the audience is an invisible audience, but we are an invincible teacher through the church. Another pastor writes to the fallen angels, the church which exists because of Christ's triumph at the cross displays God's wisdom and reminds them of their impending doom. The fallen angels thought they had triumphed at the cross, but God displayed his wisdom by using that very means to gain ultimate and final victory. Oh, look at verse 11 of Ephesians 3. It tells us the church has always been God's plan A and there is no plan B. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our mission is to make known the mystery and majesty of the gospel. Finally, the privilege of the mystery. Paul ends this passage with two practical privileges. We we see those in verse 12 and 13, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So we can have confidence. That word boldness means freedom of shame, meaning we can express ourselves to God without fear or shame. Through faith in Christ, we have the right of address. We can address him and we have the right of access. We can come right into his presence and we can have courage that phrase lose heart means to grow weary or faint-hearted it also means to turn cowardly and to give in to the influences around you brothers and sisters we must remain unshaken in our faith and unashamed of the gospel no matter what happens in our culture no matter what kind of bad news you and i get personally When we go through hard times, we can be assured that God is working his way and his will for his glory and for our good. I heard something about a big game today. (laughs) Do you know experts are predicting the Super Bowl will be the most viewed U.S.-based telecast of all time? in part because Taylor Swift has revived interest in pro football, especially among younger adults. And so Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, the capacity is 65,000 fans. But on top of that, a whopping 72% of Americans say that they'll be watching TV online or watching the game on TV or online. By the way, there's still a chance for you to get tickets where at least as of Wednesday, the price of tickets sold on StubHub was $8,600. So I have an assignment as we close. I don't know if you plan to watch the game, but if you do, when you're watching the game, let me put another image in your mind. Imagine that instead of the Chiefs and 49ers on the field, The church is on the field. And the field is white for harvest. And instead of 65,000 fans in the stands, the entire stadium and the sky above it is filled with myriad upon myriad of angels being glued to the activity of the church. 
and they are clapping and they're cheering every time they see a sinner cross the goal line of the gospel. Now here are a couple more riddles. I am a gift that anyone can unwrap. What am I? Salvation. And I can live and breathe, and yet I was dead. Who am I? I'm a Christian who's now alive in Jesus. So if you're not yet a Christian, it's time to be converted because the riddle of redemption has been solved. And, well, if you're ready to be saved, you could pray this prayer with me. Would you close your eyes? And if you're already a Christ follower, pray for somebody around you or somebody engaging online that today would be their day of salvation and day the angels rejoice. You could pray this with me. Lord Jesus, for way too long, I've just been living for myself, thinking life is all about myself, my pleasures, my wants, whatever I want, whatever I'm thinking about is the best and it's right. And Lord, I just want to confess my pride, my tendency to always think I'm right and how the world, I want the world to revolve around me. Lord, I just want to own it today that, that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I confess that I'm headed for an outpouring of your righteous wrath. So I repent of my sins and so by faith I gratefully receive your gift of redemption. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross in my place and when your blood was shed, your blood was accepted as full and final sacrifice satisfying the righteous and holy wrath of God Almighty. And I want that applied to my life. And so I believe that not only you died, but you rose again from the dead. And I ask you, Jesus, now to come into my life to save me from my sins. I want to, I need to be born again. I believe, and so now I receive. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you settled that today, I'd love to chat with you after the service or you can connect with another pastor here. Would you stand now? And I want to give, read a benediction found at the end of the book of Romans. It's interesting, that word mystery is found throughout the scriptures. And in my study, it took me to the last verses of the book of Romans. Receive this then as our benediction. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. We all need strength. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, before you leave today, find someone you haven't met and introduce yourself.